Well, moving into high school is a big deal, as you upperclassmen know. You remember maybe when you were in eighth grade or moving into ninth grade, there's a lot of fear, a lot of trepidation about what might happen. And that's because a lot does happen in high school. If you think back to the first day you walked on a high school campus, it was a little bit scary. It was a little bit different. Maybe not exactly what you expected. And that's probably because you knew that in high school a lot would happen. A lot happens in that span of four years where people go from being just little freshmen to college students when they're done or adults working in the workplace. A lot happens. I mean, high school is cool because a lot of impressive and important things happen. It's probably when most of you will get your driver's license and start driving your mom's minivan, and then maybe you'll end up with your own car by the time you're done. You'll pay a lot of money for a not very nice car that you'll drive around for a long time, but you'll really love it because it's yours. Maybe high school will be the time where you go on your first date and you have your first official, official boyfriend or girlfriend because I know you've had all unofficial, and we're just a thing. No, you'll be like an actual thing now. People will look at you and say, oh, wow, they're dating their boyfriend and girlfriend. I mean, that's pretty cool. There's a lot of stuff that might happen for you in high school, a lot of things that are like growing up. But here's the problem. Although those things might happen for you in high school, that doesn't guarantee that you will actually grow up. That doesn't guarantee that you'll actually become a real, mature Christian adult. It just means you'll be an adult. You'll be 18 and you can go to jail. That's all that it basically means. And what I want to do for the first 10 weeks of the summer is talk about what it looks like to become a a Christian adult, a mature Christian who operates in the church like all the other adult Christians do. And we can't start anywhere else other than the beginning of what it looks like to really be a follower of Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because what Jesus is going to make a claim here is he's going to say that if you're not all in for him, you're not really in at all. And that's the most important thing that's going to happen for some of you in high school is maybe you're going to take those first steps to really become a follower of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important than that. So I want you to grab a Bible and look at Luke chapter 9. Look at some famous verses here. Luke 9, verse 23 to 25. Three short verses. Maybe you have them memorized. These are so important for you and me to look at and say, am I really all in? Because I can go to church. I can play the game. I can be here. I can go to revival. I can do all that stuff, but that doesn't mean that I'm all in. That doesn't mean I'm a real Christian. That doesn't mean that when I die, I'm going to heaven. That doesn't mean any of that. Jesus calls us to be all in. Now, you and I should start feeling the pressure to grow up into Christ. That's the expectation for those who are really Christians. Now, a little background here. This is a famous verse, and you probably heard it before, but I want to tell you what happens before. Jesus has finally come totally face-to-face with Peter and the apostles, and now they've made very clear to each other who Jesus is. All of the apostles know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is the Christ. He's that guy from the Old Testament that was prophesied to be the most important person in the world, the savior of Israel, the one who's going to take over the world and rule as the king. They've just all said that out loud for the first time, right? Some of them knew that, but Peter has just said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. That just happened. And here's what Jesus does. He does the opposite of what you might expect him to do. Instead of saying, yes, that's it. All right, guys, let's start talking about this kingdom we're going to make. The first thing Jesus does is he tells them, I'm about to die, and you need to know that, because if you expect me to be the Messiah that you think I'm going to be, to rule the world right now, well, that's not what I'm going to do. My plan's a little bit different, and then you might think, okay, well, that's just Jesus. What about me? What about me? If I want to be a follower of Jesus, what is Jesus going to do in this world through me? Look at Luke 9, 
23, that's where we pick up. Here's what it says. I want everybody to check this out in the Bible. It says, and he said to all, Jesus was talking just to the disciples before. Now he turns his attention to everybody. So this is for you. This is for me. He says this, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be a Christian, well, what, is she, what should he do? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the first thing he says. Okay, you want to be a Christian? Here's what you got to do. You got to die. Well, that doesn't seem like a good life plan. No, that's the, that's the life plan. He says, you need to be ready to die. Now, this idea of taking up a cross, you're thinking like, okay, like wear a cross necklace and, you know, make sure that I show that I'm like a Christian to everybody. That's not what this means. Uh, you've never seen this. I've never seen this in person, but I think everyone who heard Jesus say this knew what he was talking about. If you were to take up your cross, that meant that you had just been sentenced to a crime that was punishable by death, the worst kind of crimes people were crucified for. And what they do is, and you know the story of Jesus, how he carried the cross, but what they do is they'd first insult this person, they'd first strip them naked, they'd beat them up, they'd tear off their flesh, and then they'd say, carry your execution instrument. Go carry that 300-pound cross, and you're not just going to carry it for 20 meters. You're going to carry it for a long way. Jesus carried it for like a mile. He has to take this cross down the way. That's what it looked like to take up your cross. So it's like, you know, some of you might have been watching um, these court hearings that have been happening, one in particular um, with somebody who did something um, that, was, that a dog was supposed to do. But um, anyway, uh, and you like can picture the court scene, right? Imagine you lost your, your court, your lawsuit. You walk, you walk out, and you're the loser, and everyone's looking at you. It's just that, except now you're stripped naked, you're beat up, and you're carrying your death instrument. Um, so if you're carrying your cross, here's the problem. You might be alive, but you're basically dead. I mean, you're, you're, you're walking to your death. There's no more hope of you changing your situation. It's done you're going to die. That's what it means to carry your cross. So when Jesus says this, that's a little bit confusing, especially after they say that he's the Christ. You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily. So this doesn't just happen one time. So I don't just go through one really hard thing and then afterwards it's all good. No, he says, no, this is a daily thing. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, what does that really mean? He's going to explain more in verse 24. Look what this says. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. You just heard about a crucifixion, and you think, I don't want that to happen to me. I want to I save my life. I don't want to die. I don't want to go through something hard like that. He says, here's the thing. Here's the problem for all of us. You and I are stuck in a situation because of our sin. You have one of two options. If you want to save your life, live it however you want to live it, do whatever sin you want to do, and not recognize that Jesus is Lord, here's the problem. You will lose your life. God will take it away for eternity. That's the situation we all find ourselves in. Whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whatever life you have left, well, that person will save it. The people who are really saved in this room right now, the real Christians, are the ones who've died to themselves, the ones who've said Jesus is Lord, the ones who've repented of their sins and said, I'm not going to live for that anymore, and the ones who trust in Jesus. Those are the, the all-in people right now. My prayer for you is if you're not one of those people right now, that you will be by the time you leave this ministry. Here's the problem. Uh, this is a hard one for us because you might say you've got a lot to give up. And that's exactly what Jesus talks about next. Look at verse 25. He says this, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
Like, what, what if you got everything you wanted? What if you were the most popular person? What if you were a celebrity? What if you had all the riches you want? What if you had everything that you could ever want and you went to hell? He says, well, that's not worth it. What if you forfeit yourself? I mean, even mathematically, it doesn't make sense. Even if you have a really hard life for the next couple decades, and then you've got an eternity of sharing it in good gifts with God, that's worth it. He basically says this, don't make a bad deal. We all find ourselves in the situation where Jesus is Lord and we're sinners, and we have basically two options in life, and you do too. You can grow up, you can go to church, and then you can live your life however you want to and leave it all behind, and it might just be your parents' faith, and you can do that. But the problem is, you're not even going to gain the whole world. You're just going to gain a little tiny bit of it. What he says is, what does it profit you if you gained everything and then lost yourself, went to hell, separated from God, never with any capacity to experience any good gifts from God? It's not worth it. That's why Jesus calls you and me to be all in. If we're going to follow him, we need to be all in because it's, it's worth it. There's three things here that I want you to see. First of all, from verse 23, this is already clear, but I want you to write this down for point number one. I want you to realize that Jesus demands your whole life. Realize that Jesus demands your whole life. All in, you might say, that's just uh, what some Christians do. That's just what the super intense people do. No, that, that, that's just what any real genuine Christian has to be all in. You have to be, because Jesus demands it. Last night, we were flying home from Boise, Idaho, and um, you know when you sit on a plane next to people who talk really loud? Um, there was a group of girls from a high school, it seemed. They were coming back from their senior trip, and there was like 12 of them. And it doesn't count as eavesdropping because they're, sh- they're screaming it over like three rows. But we heard all about their friend drama. It was, um, it was bad. I mean, Jacob, Jacob really lost Emma real bad because <laughs> Jacob told Emma that, uh, not to share with, I'm going to share. Uh, I mean, apparently... I'm assuming this is all real, but um, that Jacob lost Emma because uh, Jacob just had to prioritize school over her. And she said, well, now we're in a gray area of sorts where we're, we're a thing, but we're not a thing. So we heard all about it. Trust me, there's more I could tell you. Um, <laughs> but it got me thinking, you know, if you enter into a relationship, you kind of you have a couple demands, don't you, right? You girls, you don't want uh, your boyfriend one day or maybe think a little bit further down the line. You don't want your husband to be dating other women, do you? You kind of are demanding about that. There's, there's some certain demands. And then some of you think, no, I'm not very demanding. I'm not very demanding. And, and that might be great when you're in high school. But the problem is with relationships, there is some demands. And some demands are good because it depends who's demanding what and who they are. Um, some of you listen to this and you think Jesus demanding everything. That seems wrong. He does not have the right to demand everything from me. And if you thought that through and said that out loud, I hope you'd catch yourself saying that thinking, oh, wait a minute, Jesus does have the right to demand anything from me because he's the Lord. Jesus says this later in this book. He told a story in Luke 17, verse 10, where he said, if you're following me and doing what I say, he says, if you've done everything that you should have done, here's the response that you should have in the end. He says, so you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say this, quote, We are unworthy servants or slaves. We're only doing what was our duty, end quote. That's an interesting response. Don't you expect at the end of your life, if you do what's good, that Jesus would reward you? Well, he says that later, but Jesus says your attitude and my attitude should be this. 
If I do everything perfectly right, I should just say this. Hey, I'm just doing my duty because Jesus is the Lord, because he's God, because he made me, because he died on the cross for me. If I do everything perfectly, it's just the bare minimum. It's just what I should do. It's a high standard. Jesus puts it like this to the people that don't follow him. Luke 6, 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I think for you and me, the word Lord kind of loses some of its power. Sometimes we think all that it means is um, you know, some religious term. What Lord means is you're my boss. You're my, you're my God. You're the one that's going to direct my whole life. And Jesus says this, and he could say it to a room like this. Why do you all call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? And some of you are Christians, and you know, yeah, there's, there's things that Jesus calls me to that I have trouble doing. I don't always do it. And if you're a Christian and you're doing your best to follow Christ and you, you trust him, God's going to help you with that. But for some of you, you're in a different posture. Your posture is, who is Jesus to ask me to do anything? Who are you to tell me I have to be all in for Jesus? That, I don't have to do that. I just warn you, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? He is the Lord. You, if you think that growing up in church and listening to sermons and then walking away is a new thing, it's not a new thing. In fact, when Jesus first had his disciples that surrounded him, it says that he had actually a pretty large group of disciples, not just the 12. The 12 were like the most important, the key ones, and then the three, Peter, James, and John, were even more key, but he also had the group of the 72. And beyond that, I think he had a couple hundred others who were disciples. They called themselves disciples of Jesus. They left things behind to follow him. Well, not all of them followed him to the end. Actually, a lot of them left. You know the most famous one, Judas, but there were others that are not as famous to history. But John 6 says that there was a time when Jesus said something really hard. In fact, what he said was, um, you cannot come to me unless the Father draws you. That was the hard thing that he said. And right after that, John 6, verse 66, so you know it's a, it's a bad verse, um, says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back. They turned around. They were walking with him, and then they said, I'm not walking with you anymore. He says, because they no longer walked with him. So they couldn't really be called Jesus' disciples anymore because they didn't follow him. That's what disciple means. It means a follower. I can't say I follow Jesus if I don't follow Jesus. I can't say I'm a Christian if I don't trust in Christ. That's basically what Jesus gets to. You're in Luke 9. Drop down. Look at the end of this chapter. Because this is illustrated with some people that show up and talk to Jesus. I would guess that some of the people that talk to Jesus here in Luke 9, 57, some of them actually heard what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. And they say, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. Look what they say. This is Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds like someone who heard the sermon on Luke 9, 23 and said, I'll do whatever for you, Jesus. You demand everything? Fine, I'll do anything for you. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, period, end quote. What happened to that guy? Look what it said. It, oh, it doesn't say. We don't know. So this person may have not even responded rightly to that and walked away because Jesus said, you might be homeless if you follow me in the earthly ministry. Okay, this person doesn't seem like they were up for that. Verse 59, to another, Jesus calls them and says, hey, you, why don't you follow me? So the, the thing went the other way around. Instead of a person saying, I want to follow Jesus, now Jesus says, why don't you follow me? Look what this guy says. He says, but Lord, let me first go bury my father. 
which doesn't mean that his dad has just died and that um, he was like, oh, I just got to put him in the ground. That probably meant he had to go live another couple of years and make sure all of his dad's stuff went in all the right places. And maybe it was a way for him to say, hey, I could really fund this operation if you just give me some time. My dad's about to die. He's got a lot of money. And maybe we could fund this operation. Here's what Jesus says. Look what he says next. Uh, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61 says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Let me go back. Let me go, go ask these people that are at home for some things. Let me go collect supplies or say goodbye. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I want you to hear that, and I want you to think, Jesus is talking to me. No one who puts his hands at the plow and says, I will follow Jesus, but then is going to turn back to the world, they're not fit for the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? You're not all in if you're not all in. If you've got reservations and if you've got things that you're leaving behind, then you're not all in yet. Paul puts it like this in Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I think that's a really graphic way to basically say, I took up my cross a long time ago and I died to myself. I said, whatever my goals, my ambitions, my plans for my life, I'm going to say, those don't really matter so much. I'm just going to do whatever God wants me to do. If you're a Christian, that's what you've done. When you signed up, not on an actual dotted line, but when you signed up and said, I'm going to follow Christ, you know what you said? All my ambitions, all my plans, whatever I want to do, I'm going to put that to the side. I will do whatever God wants me to do. I will go to whatever college God wants me to go to. I will date whoever God wants me to date. I will marry whoever God wants me to marry. I'll go into whatever field that God wants me to go into for work. It doesn't really matter. I will just do what God wants me to do. Do you realize that for some of us, we're trying to like pull both sides? We're trying to say, I want to have Jesus be associated, but I don't want him to take over everything. Because what, what if he says, not, not to date that non-Christian person? What if he says that maybe I shouldn't go to that school? What if he says, you know, that field that you're trying to enter for, for work at one point, that's probably not the best thing for you to do. What if he says that? What if his word shows you that? What if you hear that in the preaching? Well, some of us don't want to give it all up, not be all in. Jesus demands that you and me be all in. You should ask yourself the question, if I'm asking so much, and this is a pretty big demand, you should ask a question, an important question. Is that actually worth it? If I told you to collect all the money you could and go buy a car because you just really need it, you mean every pair of shoes goes on Facebook Marketplace, every jacket, every, every, cash out on everything? Well, that car better really be worth it, right? Um, you should ask that question. That's an intelligent question. Some people jump into Christianity without asking those questions, without counting the cost, as Jesus says later. I want you to count the cost, and I want you to think it through. And that's what Jesus says. In Luke 9, 24, he says, uh, if you're going to try to save your life and try to negotiate a deal with Jesus where you give him half and he lets you keep the rest, if you try to save your life or hold on to it, he says, you're going to have it taken away from you at some point. But if you give it up, if you put it all on the table and you say, I'm all in for you, whatever you want me to do, Jesus, he says, that's the person that's going to be saved. That's a person whose life is going to be saved. Point of two, I love you to write this down. Find real life by laying down your life. Find real life by laying down your life. Because when you hear dying and life, those words don't always mean the same thing in this text. In fact, 
it wouldn't make any sense. It would be a total paradox because he says, look, if you're going to lay down your life, that's how you're going to save it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If I die, then how can I stay alive? Well, he's talking about two different types of life here. And he's also talking about two different types of ways that those lives can be taken away. First of all, some people look at this text and say, oh, I think Jesus is saying I have to literally die as a martyr. I have to be killed or crucified, right? So let me go uh, do something crazy and be, be mocked and killed for Jesus. Well, that's not necessarily what he's asking for here. What he's saying is for you to lay down your life, what does that mean? That means for you to say, I'm going to be all in. My goals, my ambitions, whatever I want to do, I'm going to say whatever God wants me to do. That might be an easy one for some of you because maybe you don't have many goals or many ambitions. But for some of you, you have a lot of sin that you want to hang on to. You have a lot of habits that you want to continue to do. You have a lot of friends that you know God's going to tell you to give up and take steps back from. You know that, and that's the reason why some of you have not said, I'm going to follow Christ. Jesus is even more intense than this. If you felt like this sermon was intense, the most intense part I think Jesus ever speaks in the book of Luke is in Luke 13. So if you want to turn over there real quick, we're going to try to stay in the gospel of Luke today. But Jesus addresses a problem. Some people said, hey, um, I heard a lot of people died in a tragic accident. It'd be like if today someone came up and asked the preacher, hey, what about all those kids who died in that mass shooting? What about all of them? Uh, what do you have to say about them? That's basically what happens here. There was a problem. Something happened with this tower, and this tower fell down, and then there was this evil king who killed some Galileans, and that's what Jesus addresses here in Luke 13. Someone asks him that question. Look at Luke 13. It says, there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, basically saying they were giving sacrifices, and then Pilate said, why don't I sacrifice you too? And he killed them as they were offering religious worship. They were there. And Jesus answered them. So clearly, this was in the conversation. And here's what Jesus' first thoughts are. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Do you think they were worse than all the other people that didn't die just because they suffered in this way? Sometimes our natural reaction is to think, well, maybe they deserved it. Maybe God had it out for them. Well, here's what Jesus says. He says, no, that's not why that happened. He says, I tell you, but unless you repent, unless you turn around, unless you say, I'm going to be all in, he says, you will likewise perish. That's not the most tactful thing to say after a tragedy, but it's exactly what Jesus says because it's exactly what you need to hear and exactly what I need to hear. Unless you repent, unless you say, I'm going to be all in for Jesus, you're going to perish too. Verse four. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. So there's another tragedy. Another thing happened. These people died with some kind of earthquake or there was a fire or something happened where this building fell over. 18 people died. And Jesus says, do you think that they are worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? You think that God just had it out for them? He says, no, 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 you don't understand. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Laying down your life, repenting, turning from your sin, is the only way to have real life. It's the only exchange that can be made that's actually smart. It's the only thing that we can do that's going to have a payoff in the end. I told you about buying a car. I want you to imagine maybe this is decades down the line, but uh, they stop with all the, the complete end of making gasoline cars. 
Um, it's just electric cars, right? They're threatening that, and they want to do that. Uh, but maybe that by the time you're an old person, maybe there will be no more gasoline cars. I want you to imagine that for about 10 years, no gasoline is produced anywhere in the world. So not only are they only making electric cars, you know, gas cars are going extinct. It's ending. But you have your really nice gas car that you love, and you just want to hold on to it for as long as you can. Well, you can do that for a while, but at some point, it's just going to become um, just something you're going to keep in your garage because there's going to be no more gas. You can live it up while you have the time, and you can burn the gas, and you can burn it fast, or you can burn it slow, but at some point, you're not going to be able to use that thing anymore. That's basically what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm offering you the solution to your problem, the biggest problem that you and I have, he's offering it to you freely. But what he says is, you got to sell the car. You've got to sell it. Get rid of it. I don't care how much you like it. I don't care how connected you are. And for some of you, you became Christians at a relatively young age. And you weren't super connected to your car. You didn't care that much. You didn't have that much in the world. That's why Jesus will go on to say, it's really hard for a rich person or a popular person or someone who has a lot to enter the kingdom of God because you have to say, I'm done with all of it. I'll lay it down. Jesus says, I can't have it. I can't have it. Whatever he says goes. Here in Luke 13, look at Luke 14, one page over in your Bibles. Luke 14, Jesus was talking to a great crowd and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father or mother or wife or child or brother or sister, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Verse 27, Luke 14 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, right? So we're still talking about the same thing. Imagine the person going to their death, carrying their own cross. They're a dead man walking. Whatever ambitions, plans, life that they had planned is over. It's whatever the executioner said. Whoever doesn't bear it every day cannot be my disciple. Verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower... I'm going to build a big building here, does not first sit down and count the cost. Right? That's really dumb to not budget, to know if you have enough money to build your tower. Verse 29, otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who will see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man had began to build and was not able to finish. You started following Christ, but you didn't count the cost. Everyone's going to look at you when you turn around. All your non-Christian friends that you're going to join one day is going to look at you and say, you joined all that, but you didn't count the cost. Even non-Christians will sneer. Verse 31, another illustration, he says, Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 troops to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? That's a war analogy. You got 10,000 troops. Someone's coming at you with 20,000 troops. You're probably not going to make it unless you got some kind of strategic advantage. Verse 32 says, if not, if you can't win, if you know that in the end you're going to lose, while the other is yet a great way off, the smart person, the wise person, the godly high school student will send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. He'll plead and say, can I please live? Please spare me. Have mercy on me. Or in other words, I surrender. Whatever you say goes. I, I think some of us don't realize that is the situation that we are in right now. That's how it is. You might not like that Jesus is the Lord. You might not like 
that you're a sinner. You might not like that I'm a sinner. You probably don't care about that so much, but you probably don't like the fact that you're a sinner, right? Okay, but that's where we are. That's the truth. And you can live your life denying that truth. You can live your life denying that Jesus is the Lord, but I plead with you, don't. Don't deny that. He's made it abundantly clear. Verse 33, last verse here. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Here's what this doesn't mean. When you become a Christian, God's gonna take everything that you have away. That's not what it means. But to renounce everything you have is to say everything is on the table and I will only take back anything that God says, yeah, that's good for you to have. But the hard part is it's really scary to kind of take those things and put them on the table. For some of us, like I said, it's sin that you don't want to confess. You don't want to bring sin into the light and tell people and confess it because you're afraid of what they'll think of you. Well, we should care a lot more about what God thinks of us than what your friend thinks of you. Because Jesus says whoever would save his life would lose it. If you're in the Gospel of Luke, I guess you can turn one more time. Luke 18, Jesus tells a story. I like how in the Gospel of Luke and in my study this week, it was just helpful because all, all the time, Jesus is just saying the same thing over and over again in different ways. Luke 18, he tells the story of a tax collector, an evil guy, a guy who stole people's money, who took advantage of little grandmas, who's just a general all-around bad guy, okay? Um, and then you've got the preacher or the religious leader um, who knows all of the stuff from the Bible. He knows everything. He grew up in church. He knows all of it, all that stuff. And they're praying together, not together because the Pharisee wouldn't stand next to the tax collector, but they're praying to the same God in the same room. Jesus tells the story. The tax collector has the right attitude. The Pharisee doesn't. He says, I'm glad I'm not like them, which is why for some of you, you're like, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all about compass, I'm all about true north. Well, you might not be all in because you might be hiding your secret sin life so that no one sees it. God does. So that doesn't mean you're all in just because you're here. Because the Pharisee looked like he was all in, but he wasn't. He says, thank you for not making me like the other person. Thank you for making me righteous and wise and so much smarter than them. And the tax collector prayed something very important. Here's what he prays, Luke 18, 13. Luke 18, 13. Tax collector prayed, said he stood far off. He would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. He was so ashamed of his sin. He beat his breast. He was hitting himself in the chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognizes who the Lord is. He asks for mercy because he knows he needs it. And he reminds God, and not like God needed to know, but that he was a sinner, that he needed to be saved. Some of you have never asked God to save you because you think you didn't need to be saved because you think you might be a sinner, but I'm not as bad as the other person. If that's you too, you're not all in, even if you're here, even if you look like a Christian. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified. It's the only time in the whole set of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this word justified is used that Paul uses so often in Romans. Justified, declared righteous. That bad, evil guy walked away from that prayer that day, and God said, that man is righteous in my sight because of what Jesus did for him. And the Pharisee, he's not. He wanted to hang on to his righteousness, so God said, you can hang on to your sin too. That's why you got to be all in. You give God all your righteous deeds that he calls filthy rags, and you give him all your sin. You confess it to him, and you say, I want to be all in for you. I'm turning from all that sin. I know it's disgusting and wrong and terrible. Please forgive me and let me follow you. That's what it looks like to become a Christian. That's what it looks like to be all in. Jesus says, 
You might think you'll gain the world. Some of you might. And I want to say that and end with that in verse 25. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits or loses himself or his soul? The reality is many of you might gain a lot in this life. And you might gain a lot of it apart from Christ. And you might walk away from these little rickety plastic seats. And you might go live your life and say, I'm so glad that I left all that stupid stuff that I learned in True North behind. I've seen that happen over and over and over again. And people right now living in the rebellion of their sin who think that they caught the good deal. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Point number three, I don't want you to throw away your soul for a cheap world. Point number three, I'd love for you to write that down. Don't throw away your soul for a cheap world. It's cheap. If you think, John, you don't know what I want to do. You don't know it's cheap. It's actually really good. It's really what I want. Well, I'd love to direct you to a man who had everything, a man named Solomon, who said, I had everything that you ever wanted. (laughs) It's interesting. Whoever gains the world. I don't know if you've really thought that through. What would it mean for you to gain the world? you had everything that you wanted. Maybe you're not so materialistic. You think, well, I just really want people to like me or care about me. Okay, great. What if God gave you everything you wanted? Everyone looked at you and respected you, guys, and they said, I want to be like that guy. Ladies, maybe gaining the world would look like for you to have a perfect relationship and a perfect guy and perfect kids one day in a perfect Magnolia-style house. This is not a real temptation, right? This is like the devil in the wilderness. Um, And you had everything, like just literally everything. Your husband had a great job, and your kids were all cute, and they all turned out blonde, and they were just like, great, like whatever you want from little kids, and your baby's got these big blue eyes, and they're super happy all the time. Maybe some of you, it's like, uh, you know what I, I would really want is, is stuff. Like what Jesus talked about is kind of what I want. I want. I want stuff. I want the private jets. I want the nice cars. I want to post about it, and I want everyone to know. And you might not admit that out loud, like some of you might, but others of you might say, oh, I wouldn't do that. But maybe deep down in your heart, you, re- you would really want that. Maybe you want a kind of respect where everyone wants to know what you think. All your friends look to you, and they just care so much about your opinion gaining the world. Others of you might want to have the sexual life that other people have. The no consequences can have whoever I want, whenever I want. A new partner every single weekend. People in multiple towns all over the world, wherever I want to be, I can have everything. That might be what some of you want. Others of you might want everyone to be attracted to you. Maybe you want everyone to look at you and say, that's the person I want to be with. Some of you want to be looked at as funny Others of you want people to think you're godly. Some of you want to go live a certain lifestyle where you give yourself over completely to whatever desire that you have. Maybe you want to go to college and you want to live the sorority life or the frat life and you want every party and you want no consequences. I want you to imagine that you got whatever you wanted and God just said, fine, have it. I want you to imagine that. At the end of all that, God said, fine, you can have that because that's what you wanted so bad and he lets you have it. But then you lose your soul. But then for eternity, you're separated from the Lord. 
separated from him in a place called hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, no capacity to enjoy anything good, and no good gifts from God ever again. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's called darkness. A place where you are not going to see anybody. A place where no one will see you, where you'll be forgotten. Um, It's not worth it. Whatever you think is worth it, it's not worth it. Jesus makes that so clear, and I just want you to hear from me. It's not worth it. Jesus said in Luke 12, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body. Don't be afraid of people. Some of you, the reason you don't want to follow Christ is because you're afraid of what people think of you. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body, people who can give you a bad reputation here and now, because afterwards, they can even kill your body. They can't do anything to you afterwards. Nothing. But I, I warn you who to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's the Lord. Recognize him. Roy read from Luke, it's Luke 18, the story of the rich young ruler. It's one of the guys in the book of Luke who come to Jesus and say, hey, I'll do whatever you want. Hey, how can I punch my ticket to heaven? Because I just want to be sure. And Jesus says, great, yeah, uh, sell everything and uh, follow me. And the dude's like, no, I can't do that. I have, I have too much stuff. He has too much in his reserves. He can't put it all on the table. He can't find it in himself to do it because he just has so much. And he walked away sad is what it said. There's another man in the book of Luke, Luke 12. It's the parable of the rich fool. And he doesn't have a name. It's just a parable. The rich young ruler was a real person. The rich fool is just a story that Jesus tells. Maybe it's a real person, but it doesn't seem like it. Just an imaginary story that Jesus tells to get your attention and my attention. And this rich fool, it says, built big barns. He built a big house. He had his dream place, and he had everything. And what he says to himself, it's super interesting. In this text, he says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You're fine. It's like there's this anxiety that's built into this guy, like it's built into many of you. And you're trying to just say, relax, 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 relax. Stop, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Um, But for this guy, it wasn't, because he's not right with the Lord. Because he, in his sin, rejected Jesus, and he said no to eternal life, and he's trying to calm himself down by saying, relax, relax, relax. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. You're going to die. I'm going to take your soul. You're done. And these things that you've prepared, whose will they be? You might not be so materialistic. You might not think it's all your stuff, but your reputation and all that stuff. Um, I hate to break it to you, but people will forget about you faster than you think. Whatever reputation you're trying to build up and you think that's the reason you can't follow Christ because what people at school will think of you, they're going to forget who you were in five years. No offense. Some of them will remember you, but the point is like it's not even going to matter a little bit. Paul says in Galatians 6, I've been crucified to the world. And the world has been crucified to me. I'm, I'm dead to the world. I'm like a dead man walking. I have my cross on my back, and I'm walking every day. Problem is, for many of us, it says he gains the whole world, but forfeits his soul. For many of you, you don't even have the whole world. You just have a tiny little sliver. Reminds me if you're trying to get a shark to come to your boat, right? You don't have to throw in a whole tuna. You can just throw a little bit of chum. 
If you're trying to attract a, a mouse, all you need is a little piece of cheese. If you're trying to trap insects, all you need is those weird little things where the insects just kind of walk right into it and they get stuck. And yeah, you don't need much to kind of draw in those animals because they just, they want what they want. I want some of you to realize that the world that you have is a tiny, tiny little sliver. Satan didn't even need to give you the whole world. He just gave you a little bit. You've got a little bit of sin that you're hiding that you don't want your parents to know about. And you've just got a little bit of bad things that you're doing. You've just got a little bit of popularity that's keeping you from coming to Christ. You only have a tiny bit. And even if you gained all of it and lost your soul, it wouldn't be worth it. If you're trapped by your stuff and it's making you reject the eternal riches in Christ, be willing to give it up. If you're trapped by your popularity and you think that my popularity, that's the reason I can't come to Christ because people will think bad things about me. Well, just remember, if you're ashamed to be associated with Jesus, he'll be ashamed of you. If a little bit of sexual sin is keeping you back from real repentance because you don't want to give it up, don't let it. Give it up. Bring it to the light. If you're trapped, you need to count the cost, realize what it's going to cost you to follow Christ, and then give it up and plead with Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, is a high priest who's ready to hear you. He offers salvation. That's the amazing thing about Christ, that he doesn't just give you this bad news and tell you you're stuck and you're in trouble. He says, you're stuck without me. I can save you. I will forgive you. The Bible says the one who comes to Jesus, he will in no wise cast out. He'll never cast you out. If you come to Jesus with true humility, giving up your sin in repentance and faith. Jesus calls us to be all in. That's the start of adulting. We'll get to the other things later, but that's the most important. Let's pray right now that God will help us with that. God, please, by the power of your spirit, show us that it's not worth it to live for ourselves and to do whatever we want to do. It's only worth it to live for you. Pray for the Christians in this room to continue to deny themselves every day, to take up their cross daily and follow you to do whatever hard thing you ask us to do. God, I pray for the people in the room who don't know you, who might be a disciple in a small sense, that they are following you and they want to know who you are, but they're not really all in yet. I ask for them in particular this morning that you would solidify and strengthen their boldness and resolve to say, I'm willing to do anything for you, God. I'm willing to give up any sin for you, God. Pray that you give us the resolve to do this, that we wouldn't think these thoughts right now as we pray to you and then just forget about them. Pray that we would do business with you and we talk to you and we talk to our small group leaders or people that know us well and be willing to give it up today, this week. Pray that you'd have mercy on us as we come to you, that you would show us your favor by being willing to forgive us as you've promised. We know that you will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, everybody. See you on Wednesday night.
You are. 